0: I once read the story of a young woman who wanted to go to college. But her heart sank when the college's application form asked the question, are you a leader? She was both honest and conscientious in her answer, and she simply wrote no. She returned the application and expected the worst. But to her surprise, she received a letter from this college of acceptance. Dear applicant. A study of the application forms reveals that this year at our college, we will have 1,452 new leaders. And we are accepting you because we feel it's imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) There are times for all of us when we are called to lead, and we do in fact lead, But there are also times when we are leading that we can become so focused on leadership that we forget that our first responsibility is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The first command that Jesus gave to his disciples was to follow him, and the same is true for each of us. There is no way to have a successful and victorious Christian marriage or Christian home without everyone involved being a follower of Jesus Christ. Being aware of his word and his commands and then seeking to obey his word and his commands. That's the way to have a successful marriage and that is the way to have a successful home. This marriage sermon this morning will deal with four things. All beginning with M. First, marriages measure. Second, marriage's method, third, marriage's message, and fourth, marriage's makeover. Measure, method, message, and makeover. Let's take them one by one. Point one in our outlines this morning is marriage's measure. And what we see in the text is that marriage's measure is oneness, Marriage's measure is oneness. Listen to what Genesis 2:24 says: "For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There it is, Oneness, one flesh. Marriages measure is oneness. Oneness is God's will for every single marriage. So do you know what Satan's will is for every single marriage? Aloneness. God wills that every marriage would be a place of oneness. Satan corrupts and drives and pushes that every marriage would be characterized by aloneness. And so it really staggers me in 30 years of pastoring, the aloneness I have heard from Christian husbands and Christian wives, the lack of oneness, the separateness I've heard over the years, separate TVs, separate friends, separate bank accounts, separate parenting styles, separate vacations, separate mailing addresses, separate beds, separate churches. God's will for every marriage is oneness. Satan's will for every marriage is aloneness. You know you can be married and lonely. Many people are still married, but they're exceptionally lonely because they feel alone in their home with their mate. Marriage intimacies that are a gift of God are but the chandelier to celebrate the oneness of everything else in the marriage that is non-physical intimacy. Oneness of dreams, oneness of vision, oneness of parenting, oneness of money, oneness of worship, oneness of spiritual service, oneness of dreams, oneness of everything. And physical intimacies between a husband and his wife in a marriage are but the chandelier of oneness that celebrates all the other onenesses. Someone has said the most attractive thing a husband might do for his wife in a week is to wash the dishes with her. To have a oneness in household chores can lead to the chandelier being meaningful. And so marriage's measure is oneness, Satan wills aloneness for every marriage. And perhaps you want to get with your husband or your wife this afternoon and just give an honest, gut-wrenching examination of your marriage really identify what makes each of you feel alone and not at one with the other. The second point in our sermon is marriage's method. Marriage's method. The method of marriage, according to God's word, is four parts. There are four parts. To God's method for your marriage and mine. The first part is leave. This is based on Genesis 24, uh, chapter 2, verse 24. For this man, because a man will leave his mother and father and will cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So what is marriage method? The first part of marriage method is that the husband is to leave his father and mother. Well, that's kind of odd. I mean, wouldn't you think that if anybody should be exhorted to leave father and mother, it would be the wife? No, God says if the man will properly leave his parents, then the wife will follow suit and properly leave her parents. When we say leave, we mean physically, we mean emotionally, we mean financially, we mean spiritually in the sense of establishing a new spiritual home unit. God says, the first part of my method for your marriage is for the husband to leave father and mother. I was once in a marriage conference, not speaking, but attending, and Somebody said, how can you know if you've left your father and mother? Some fellow asked that. And the speaker said something I've never forgotten. He said, well, one way you might know is ask your wife if you speak to your father or your mother on the phone any differently than you speak to everybody else. We are to leave father and mother. So we establish a new home. We always respect our father and our mother, but we cut the Strings. After leaving, which is charged to the husband, something else is charged to the husband, and that is cleaving. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. The Hebrew concept of cleaving was to unite two things together in an inseparable manner. I want you to vision, if I went down to JBR Lumber and bought two planks of wood the same size and some industrial-strength wood glue, and then I went back to the parsonage, and I slathered that industrial-strength wood glue on both sides of the planks, and then I, in a vise, I pinched those planks together tight and left them in the hot garage for a week. That's cleaving. Someone could get those planks apart, but it would take brute force. It would leave neither of the planks the same as, and useful as they were before they were damaged. You'd have to take maybe a crowbar and a sledgehammer, and you'd have to work hard to separate plank A from plank B, and when you separate plank A from plank B by crowbar and sledgehammer, you would leave parts of board A on B and parts of board B on A. They wouldn't be like they once were. That's cleaving. God wants every husband to cleave to his wife, to be joined in a permanent, inseparable way. And should there be meddling by a mother-in-law, father-in-law, mother, or a father, there is no mystery in the wife's mind that her husband cleaving to her will side with her over parents. And nor is there a concern on the other side of that equation that if some meddling from an in-law or parents comes to try to drive a wedge between the planks of wood, man won't ever have any doubt that if push comes to shove, his wife is going to side with him as husband over parents, if necessary. And so marriage's method is four parts. Part one is leaving. Part two is cleaving. And then we come to a New Testament aspect here. The third part is submitting, that wives are plainly commanded to submit. If you go to Ephesians 5, the passage that the Pierce family read for us. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 22, there is command given to both the wives and to the husbands, and the wives are commanded a different thing than the husbands are commanded, and the husbands are commanded a different thing than the wives are commanded. But the wife's command from God is to submit to the husband, verses 22 to 24 of Ephesians 5. Wives, be subject. The Greek word there is hupo-tasso, a compound word. Hupo means under, tasso means to stand. God says, subject yourselves, submit yourselves, stand under your own husband as to the Lord. Not that he's the Lord, but the way you stand under your husband should, should resemble how you stand under Christ. 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to, there it is, hupotasso, stand under, as Christ is, as the church is subject to Christ, so the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, there is a movement within the evangelical church, and certainly outside of the evangelical church, that submission of a wife to a husband is archaic, old-fashioned, and demeaning. It's anything but Jesus Christ subjected himself, stood under his Father. That's how he went to the cross. The Holy Spirit, when he was sent, stands under, is subject to Christ. His job is to glorify Christ. There's a functionality in the triune Godhead when there is submission. And there's a functionality in every marriage when there is submission. It does not mean the wife is inferior. It does not mean she checks her brains at the door. She checks her life experience at the door. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that she stands under her husband's God-given authority in peace and respect. Submit. If I was to line up a 1,000 men on this parking lot, each, of course, would have different DNA would be entirely unique from each other. But if you talk to those thousand men, Christian or non-Christian, long enough, you would boil down what they all need is shared one need, is to be respected. A man needs to be respected. When I greet some persons in Nassau that are struggling, having a hard time looking other people in the eye because they feel inferior. Do you know what I always do? I greet them, I say, good morning, sir. And it's like you poured cold water on a wilted plant because men are packaged by God to need respect. And when a woman, a wife, voluntarily stands under her husband, it gives that husband respect there was a bride who was planning for her wedding and she went to the wedding gown store. And she walked in and the sales consultant was pleased to see her and wanted to show her all these different styles and cuts of wedding gowns. And she said, really, it doesn't really matter the style to me and it really doesn't matter the different cut. What I really want to know, I want a wedding dress that has the noisiest fabric. I would like to have a dress that has the most noisy fabric funny. So the sales consultant said, I don't mean to be rude, but could you please tell me why you want a fabric that's the noisiest fabric possible? Oh, yes. My husband-to-be is blind, and I want to hear him to hear me coming down the aisle so he knows when I'm in place, so he won't be embarrassed. That is standing under with respect. Marriage's measure is oneness. Marriage's method is leaving, cleaving, submitting. Now we come to the husband. Husbands, God has given us a big job, a God-sized job. But with the jobs that God gives us, he gives us the enabling grace and the spirit of God's changing power in our lives that we can do the one job that he's given us to have in a marriage as husbands. In Ephesians 5, 25 to 33, listen, men, men who are married, listen, and men who hope to be married, listen. Boys that may grow up to be husbands, you listen. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There are two different Greek words for love in the New Testament. Phileo love is brotherly love, it's I'll watch your kids this weekend. If you watch my kids next weekend, you scratch my back for five minutes and then I'll scratch your back for five minutes. That's not the kind of love that husbands are commanded to give to their wives. The kind of love that husbands are to give to their wives is agape love. Agape love discerns the greatest need and the one who is loved sacrificially gives to meet that need without any concern about the cost or the payback. That's how God has loved us in Christ. He looked down and saw our sinful state, that's our greatest need, our sin problem, and he sacrificially gave his best, his only begotten son, to die on the cross in our places, to shed his innocent blood, to wash our sins away. And he did so knowing that he was willing to pay that cost and that we could never pay him back. We should love our wives, husbands. We should love our wives, in such a way that we sacrifice to meet their needs gladly. We don't worry about the cost to us personally, and we never expect them to pay us back. That's God's love. And that's the kind of love we've been called to have as a husband for a wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, the Bible, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless, so husbands, here we go again, because in case we missed it, God repeats it, so husbands ought also to agape love their own wives as their own bodies, he who agape loves his own wife loves agapes himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. And then a quote of Genesis 2, the verses we've been in in the Old Testament, because we are members of his body, watch, for this cause a man shall leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery that is a mystery in Scripture is a truth of God that has been settled in God from eternity past, but has never been revealed in the Scriptures until the verse that says, now here's a mystery. So before Ephesians 5.32, we don't know from God in Scripture what this verse is about to tell us. So it's really, really important. The mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. God is saying that how a wife stands under with dignity and submits to her husband is how the church is to stand under with dignity and respect Jesus. And how a husband sacrificially loves his wife, knowing her biggest needs, and giving to meet those needs is how Jesus has loved the church. And so the only miniature object lesson that God has chosen in his wisdom to leave on earth to have a watching and a perishing world understand the interaction between Christ and the church is your marriage and mine. And people looking in on our marriages should see in me Rob loves Beth enough to know what she needs and sacrificially gives when it hurts him for what she needs. That's how Jesus loves the church. And people should look into my marriage and see Beth and see her standing under with dignity, hupotassoing my leadership with respect and say, oh, that's how the church is supposed to respect and stand under the authority of Jesus. And when our marriages smudge this, When our marriages smear this, when our marriages reverse the roles, the people outside Christ are totally confused. Marriage's method leaving, cleaving, submitting, and loving. Let me tell you an example. I may have told you before, but it's a perfect example. There was a young couple in the first church we pastored who were just a great couple. They both loved Jesus, very dynamic, sports minded, athletic, all of those things. And they had a son, Matthew. Chris was the uh, husband, and Janine was the wife, and Matthew was their son. Perfect little family. And one week in the summer, they decided to do a staycation. A staycation is when you vacation but stay at home and do little side trips. And one of their little side trips was to go to the mall, a big mall, and in Canada, And they went to the mall, they parked, and then they went shopping and window shopping and all these different things, had a meal and everything. And by the end of all of that, they were way down at the opposite end of this huge mall to where the car was parked. So Chris, being kind and thoughtful, said to his wife, Janine, you and Matthew stay here in the mall, and then I'll go back and get the car, and I'll bring the car up to you where you are, and you'll, you'll just have a short walk to the car. Okay, that sounds great. So apparently Chris went back to the car and uh, he took a hard candy that was someplace in the car, maybe in a drink holder or something, and he took the outside wrapper off the hard candy, but he missed the fact there was an inside clear wrapper on the candy. And he took the candy in his mouth and as it dissolved, the paper that was still on the candy that was clear blocked his windpipe and he died, 34 years old. As you might imagine, Chris's funeral was immense. And uh, we were in the cemetery with all the many, many other people. And it just so happened that we were walking from the grave back to the church building with Janine, his widow. And you know, I, I, I have no idea why I said what I did. Probably for sure because Beth was right with me. But even at that, it's an odd thing I asked the widow. And I've not asked any other widow that since, but I believe God had me ask this very unique question and crazy question in some ways so I could tell you this story. And I have for 30 years told this story. While we're walking back from the grave, Beth right beside me, I turn to the widow, Janine. I say, you look lovely today, Janine. Who tells the widow she looks lovely when she's walking away from her husband's grave? I did. Do you know what she said? She said, Chris picked this dress for me. I said, Wow, how appropriate to wear it today. She goes, Chris picked all my dresses, all my slacks, all my blouses, all my clothes because I hate shopping. I hate shopping. And so, He said, you hate shopping. Would you like me to shop for you? And I said, gladly, yes, please. And for all their marriage, he went into all the women's departments and bought all of her clothes because she hated shopping. He had a PhD in his wife. Can you imagine? I I have a hard time thinking of walking into women's departments and looking at dresses for Beth, I just to be honest. But um, he did it gladly. Because of his wife's need. She hated to shop and she needed clothing. I said, do do you mind me asking, did he ever pick stuff you didn't like? She said, yeah. I said, what did you do when he picked something you didn't like? She said, I kindly said, would you please take this back for something else? I'm not really fond of this. Maybe something more like this. And he would always go back with a smile on his face. That is loving your wife. Discerning the greatest need she had, sacrificing to meet that need without concern for the cost or the payback. That's how men are supposed to love their wives. So the first point this today, marriage's measure is oneness, marriage is second place, marriage's method is four parts, leaving, cleaving, submitting, and loving. And now we come to our third point this morning. Marriage's message is how Christ and his church are to interact. Ephesians 5.32, the mystery verse. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. I've covered this a little bit already in this message. Jesus has left one thing on earth to teach the world how he relates to the church and how the church relates to him, and it's marriage. It's your marriage. And I'm so glad that in the Old Testament, God didn't divorce Israel. And in the New Testament, God doesn't divorce the church. Israel deserved to be divorced and for spiritual harlotry. But you remember the prophet Hosea? God tells this prophet who's minding his own business, this unmarried prophet, he says, I want you to marry a prostitute. What? Yeah, I want you to marry a prostitute, and she's going to prostitute your whole marriage. God ordered that because Israel was spiritually playing the prostitute with the surrounding nation's idols. And so as an obedient prophet, Hosea married Gomer, knowing exactly what become, becoming, and she played the life of a prostitute for many, many, many years. But then God commanded Hosea to go to the slave block where prostitutes are for sale when The people that own them don't want them anymore. And he walked into that setting under God's mandate, and he saw his wife, a shell of who she used to be before her sin, desperate, downtrodden, and he bought her back. He bought her back, and he put a shawl around her bare body, and he put his arm around her, and he took her home. A picture that God did not divorce spiritually adulterous Israel. And similarly, God does not divorce the spiritually adulterous church of Jesus Christ. In Romans, not Romans, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, seven churches are presented. They all had problems. Some of them had big problems. But God didn't divorce any of those churches because God doesn't divorce the church. Aren't you glad? In fact, it says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Marriage's message is how Christ and his church interact and how Christ forgives his church and stays married to his church. The fourth and last point this morning is marriage's makeover. Marriage's makeover. Beth and I sometimes watch HGTV, and we see these makeover jobs on homes that were just total Uh, wrecks, and uh, the skillful people work hard, sometimes in a short period of time, to make over a house so that it's livable and saleable and all these things. We kind of like that kind of thing. And so maybe your marriage needs a makeover. You know your marriage needs a makeover when you think your happiness is more important than your holiness. Married people who think their happiness in their marriage is more important than their holiness in their heart need a makeover, because the truth be told that marriage's priority should be the advancement of holiness, not, in the first place, the advancement of happiness. And if we have to choose between holiness and happiness, we should choose holiness over happiness every time. You know, holiness depends on God's work in our minds and our hearts. Happiness depends on happenings. You know, oh, I'm really happy. We had a loving Christmas last year. I'm really happy. I had a good medical report. I'm really happy I got a promotion at work. I'm really happy I got a good grade at school. I'm really happy because I got an unexpected lovely gift. I'm really happy because I had a wonderful family meal last Sunday. None of those things are wrong, but if that's the gauge of your happiness, then your happiness is depending on your happenings. And what happens when something that you deem to be bad happens? Do you lose your happiness? That's why the makeover that's necessary in many of our minds is a makeover to see that marriage is the advancement of holiness first and the advancement of happiness second. You know, sometimes I'm just an emotional mush. I was an emotional mush on Friday night. The movie really grabbed at my heart. And when I said something at the end, I was crying a good deal of the time. I'm not ashamed to cry. I'm not embarrassed to cry, but that's just going on. But there are times when I ring, sing certain choruses with you all. And just slowly, my, my eyes well up with tears and I feel it. And, and then as we sing further, the tears fill my eyes. And then eventually those warm tears Cascade out of my eye sockets and roll down my cheeks and down my chin. And one song that always makes me cry is Blessed Be Your Name. Because it teaches me that my happiness doesn't have to link to my happenings. My holiness can be in place when hard things are happening to me. So there's a song, Blessed Be Your Name, in the land that is plentiful. Okay, no problem. I can do that. No problem. No sweat. Easy. Where your streams of abundance flow. I'm still good. Then the second verse, blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Oh, wait a minute. When I'm found in the desert place? Then I think back in my own life, the biggest desert I've come through with God's help is a clinical depression I had in the first pastor that I had where I didn't know if I'd ever pastor again. I was so depressed. In doctor's care. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. And then we go on. I think, oh good. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise again. I'm coasting now. I'm good. That's fine. When the darkness closes in, Lord, oh, here we go again. Not again. I can think when the darkness has closed in on me as a pastor, not at this church, thank God, but in churches that opponents to my leadership as a pastor, trying to remake me as a preacher, or when we sold our house to move here, and we had no one look through the house to potentially buy it for months. That was difficult. The only people who ever walked through our house in Pennsylvania bought it. And then the song goes on, and my tears are starting to come out of my eyes. And blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. Okay, it's good. I'm liking this. No more pain. No more cares in the world. That's cool. When the world's all that it should be. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Next verse. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. But you know, God is good all the time. And I see a whole lot more of him in my suffering and pain than I do when I'm happy and at ease. And the verse goes on, Blessed, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Could it be that some of God's blessings are things that I used to deem as bad? Oh, yeah. Now, usually by this point in the song, The tears are coming down my face. But by you give and take away, you give and take away, I'm sure to be crying by that point. Why? Because I'm not singing the words mindlessly, grooving on the tune only. I'm thinking about that. What has God given me? I'm thinking about that. What has God given me that he has every right to take away from me? I'm thinking about that. That's when I cry. My wife, our two children, my mental and physical ability to pastor and to preach, God could take that away overnight. My freedom to read the Bible and to teach and preach the Bible, that could could evaporate my own life on earth, my ministry on earth, could end. You give and take away. You give and take away. Watch it. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the Lord. Happiness depends on happenings. And if you're going to be unhappy in your marriage, you're basing that on your happenings. Holiness is based on Christ. Keeping him at the center of your marriage and keeping him at the center of your heart as a husband or a wife, that's what will be sustainable. Happiness isn't sustainable. Holiness is possible through all of our happenings. Gary Thomas, who has written a book called Sacred Marriage, I highly commend it to you to purchase and read. Sacred Marriage, He has a quote in Sacred Marriage, does Gary Thomas, and it says, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? That's the question. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? If so, now here's my question. If so, if God did that, then my question would be, am I making Beth more holy? Not, is Beth making me happy? It's the wrong question. The question is, am I making Beth more holy? Not, does my spouse make me more happy? I need to tell you something. I'm not proud of this. Um, I married in my mid-20s and I dated a lot of women before I met Beth. And I'm not proud to tell you that when I dated these other women before Beth, the question I had in honesty, but I didn't have the nerve to say it out loud to anybody, but in truth, this is my question of every woman before Beth, was, is she good enough for me? That's arrogance, that's pride and selfishness. Is she good enough for me? But when I met Beth, and I saw her character and her walk with God, the question only was, am I good enough for her? That, among other things, made me sure I was to ask her to be my wife. Because my concern was not, was she good enough for me? My concern was, God, could you make me good enough for her to be her spiritual leader, her servant leader, the high priest of our home if we have children? God, could I be good enough for her? Friend, if you've come in today and you're measuring the success or the stability or the permanence of your marriage based on how happy you feel or don't feel, get a marriage makeover. God says happiness takes a distant second to holiness, And stop demanding your mate to make you happy, and you commit to making your mate holy, praying for them, taking them to the word as husbands, loving them with Christ's love, supporting wife, supporting your husband in Christian ministry. Dear, I'm going out on Tuesday nights to work with cross trainers. Great, bless you. I'll pray for your fruitful ministry. Lovely. Get a marriage makeover if you need it. Marriage's measure is oneness. Marriage's method is leaving, cleaving, submitting, and loving. Marriage's message is how Christ and his church interact. And marriage's makeover is advancing holiness first and advancing happiness second. Could we all stand together, please? As you're standing, many of us are married. We're blessed to be married. Uh, many of us are not married, would like to be married. Many of us were married, and our life's partner went to heaven. But that being said, all of us who are standing are part of a family, uncles, aunts, parents, brothers, sisters, cousins, etc and a church family. All of us are part of a family. Just before I pray, the last thing I'd like to say about choosing holiness over happiness, Gary Thomas has a way of saying it right to the blunt core. He said, husbands, your marriage will be a lot better if you see God as your father-in-law. See God as your father-in-law. Holiness over happiness. Let's pray. I want to commit you all to the all-sufficient grace of God. Lord, thank you for this precious assembly. Thank you, Lord, for the husbands and wives who are here, the children. Thank you for the singles, the widows. Thank you, Lord, that we all can learn from your Bible about marriage and family. Ask you, Lord, to make this preaching series a revolutionary one in all of our lives that people looking in our marriages would see how Jesus relates to the church and how the church relates to Jesus. For those marriages that are on the ropes, Lord, struggling on their last legs, I pray that those involved would repent where they need to repent, would ask forgiveness where they need to ask forgiveness, would grant forgiveness where they need to grant forgiveness, would get Christian counseling, and believe to fight for their marriage is God's will. Lord, for the young people who are bowed during this prayer and they're close to being marriage age or they are marriage age, may they pursue only the kind of dating relationship that honors you, no missionary dating, but to pursue young women as a young man who can date to make her more holy. Lord, comfort those who are missing a spouse this morning. Comfort those who are longing to be married and not single. Bring your peace over the whole assembly, Lord, and bless in a precious way. Bless the marriages, the future marriages, and the families of this assembly. And we pray this in Jesus' exalted name together. And God's people said, God's family said, amen.